the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Luke. Lord is king. We are subject to the king. And when he is king, we can rest in his divine order and his divine care concerning all of the subjects of the king. It is allowing him to be the one who rules. It is the kingdom of God is the Lord ruling in our lives, us subjecting ourselves and submitting ourselves to his rule and to his reign and taking comfort in knowing that he's in control. He's in charge. He is sovereign. Do you know and acknowledge that everything you have is from God? The Bible says that you need to be a good steward of what God has given you. Instead of comparing what you don't have to others, You should be finding ways to serve God with what you have. In today's message, Pastor Gary will explain that the Bible doesn't condemn wealth or success. The problem is the mismanagement or the waste of it. Don't let your wealth consume your heart. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Luke chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. When you think about it, we've done some pretty stupid stuff, all of us. We've embarrassed God a time or two. I know he's up in heaven looking at me going, oh, vain, not again. And this guy calls him a pastor? You know, what am I to do with this guy? So in the same sense, you know, God is rich in love and abounding in grace towards us. And he was not embarrassed to go on a cross and to die for our sins and to accept the punishment intended for us so that we might be cleansed from our sin. Why in the world are we so embarrassed? Why are we so ashamed? Now, He adds this part about the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit because he says, everyone in verse 10, everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So there will be times that you will be embarrassed, and you have been, and and I have been, and we don't stand up for Christ like we should, and we've not represented Him well. Jesus says, okay, you can be forgiven of that. Spoken a word against the Son of Man, you can be forgiven of that. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. So write down on the margin of your Bible this verse. It's John 15, 26. John 15, 26. Because the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible. And in John 15, 26, Jesus said, The Holy Spirit will testify of me. The Holy Spirit will testify of me. The real blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject the testimony that Jesus is Lord. You see, it is the work of the Holy Spirit. You and I didn't come to faith in Jesus. If you know Christ as your Savior, you didn't come to faith in Jesus simply by an intellectual approach alone. 
You engage the intellect, no question about it. And I, you know, resent people who suggest that Christianity is just, you know, blind faith and, you know, only dumb people believe in. You exercise your intellect. Clearly you do. But you and I come to faith because we respond to the prompting and the wooing, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. That he works on us in different ways to bring us to that place of surrender. So that then when we acknowledge Jesus as Lord, we're doing it by the help and prompting of God's Spirit. That's why Jesus said in John 15, 26, that the Holy Spirit will testify of me. So the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is when we reject the testimony of Jesus that comes by way of the Spirit. The only unpardonable sin is not accepting, believing, and receiving that Jesus is Lord. That's the ultimate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Because what you're saying, in a sense, is I reject and I refuse the prompting of the Spirit of God for me to believe in the testimony of Jesus. That's the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. So if you've ever had, you know, kind of a, a bad thought about, you know, the Lord or the Holy Spirit, if you made fun of the Holy Spirit, you know, and, and I've heard this kind of thing too, which is not a good thing. People who, you know, don't necessarily understand the fullness of the Spirit, they start mocking people who, you know, like, speak in tongues or they, or they have gifts of the Spirit. You know, maybe you've done that kind of a thing, okay? That's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That may not be appropriate, but that's not blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is to reject Jesus as Lord, because you have refused and rejected the testimony of Jesus that comes by way of the Holy Spirit. So, in that way, you won't be forgiven, because that's what you need to be saved. But then Jesus adds here in verse 11, When you are brought before synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourself or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. So just, you know, some of the bullet points I put under the word witness there is to acknowledge Jesus before others. That's what he wants us to do, not to be afraid, not to be ashamed, to acknowledge him, that our faith should be public. It might be personal, but should never be private. And then at the same time, we should trust the Holy Spirit for the words. In the context here, he is talking about when his disciples would be hauled before, you know, synagogues and rulers and authorities because, they, you know, they're going to be persecuted. But in general, I think this is a good verse to simply remind us that when we are in situations where we are wanting to be a witness for the Lord and we're wanting to share our faith, that God will in wonderful ways begin to remind us of verses and help us to say things that we don't really know how to say to communicate the truth about who Jesus is. And many of you can probably testify to that, that you've been in this situation where you know that this is a moment where you can share your faith or share your testimony or just, you know, put a word in about who the Lord is and you have maybe a brief encounter with somebody, you know, you're riding the metro or whatever the case may be. And it's amazing how the Lord will just start to give you the right words and a few verses that come to mind, and you will begin to realize after the conversation is over, man, I think God helped me on that one. He just kind of spoke through me, and he helped me because I had no clue what I was supposed to say, and the words just kind of flowed out. Praise God for that. That is the work of the Holy Spirit, and we can rely on him to help us to share Christ. Don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. God will give you the words as you make yourself available to be used. Now, from verse 13 down through verse 47, we got three more W words for you, just trying to keep it simple. I'm a simple man with a simple mind. And so uh, he's going to talk about wealth, worry, and watchfulness. So verse 13, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Now, just let that sink in for just a second there, because, I mean, Jesus is, is 
is teaching here. And, you know, there's thousands of people, and he's, and he's teaching his disciples, but now he's going to turn and address the rest of the crowd because one guy in the crowd wants Jesus to settle a dispute over the family will. I mean, doesn't this seem out of context? Jesus is like, okay, now listen, you might be persecuted, you might die, don't worry about it, just be more concerned about who could throw your soul into hell. That's the more important thing, the eternity thing, and the Holy Spirit is going to help you. And when you're persecuted, don't you worry, because the Holy Spirit's going to help you. He's going to give you the words. Excuse me, teacher, I have, I have a question. Uh, could, you, could you settle this dispute with me and my brother? Because we got a problem on our will. Okay. And Jesus replied, verse 14, man, come on, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? And then he said to them, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, first of all, let me give you a little historical context here. This guy is no doubt the younger brother, because in this day, the birthright was given to the older brother, and the older brother got twice as much of the inheritance as the younger brother. So older brother would get two-thirds of the inheritance, younger brother would get one-third. What the younger brother is upset about is, he really wants it split 50-50, I don't like this whole thing that older brother gets two-thirds and I only get one-third. Doesn't seem fair. Doesn't seem fair. That's his issue here. Now, his issue, he thinks, is about fairness. What Jesus is going to point out is, your issue is not about fairness, man. Your issue is about covetousness. You're not really asking because you want something fair. You're asking because you're motivated by greed. So he looks right into the guy's heart, and he exposes him right there. He says, watch out, be in your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. That's the real issue here, is greed. Now, he's going to give a little parable here to kind of illustrate for the guy. So look here, verse 16. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. And then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich Toward God. So here's a couple of things that Jesus is uh, talking about in regards to wealth. He first talks about being on your guard against greed. You can mark down in the margin of your Bible, Colossians 3, 5, because Paul says that greed is idolatry. It's interesting. Greed is idolatry. How is greed idolatry? Because greed or covetousness is the desire for something that doesn't really belong to you. And the more that you stew over that, I want, I want. I need, I need. No, you greed, you greed. The one thing that you're wanting becomes idolatrous in your heart. Now listen, the Bible never condemns success, never condemns wealth. What it does condemn, what it does warn about is the mismanagement of wealth and waste. That's what the Bible does speak about, the mismanagement of wealth or waste. I mean, think about it. Even after Jesus fed the 5,000 and there are 12 basketfuls left over, what did Jesus say? Pick them up. No waste around here. So 
the Bible warns about waste and mismanagement. There's not a problem with the issue of wealth itself. In fact, listen, 1 Timothy chapter 6, Paul would say this from verses 6 through 10. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money, listen to this, not money itself, it is the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Very strong language there that Paul has to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6. The idea is nothing wrong with money. What's wrong is when money owns you. And this guy's heart was full of greed. He was full of covetousness. The argument wasn't about fairness. Jesus says the real argument here is about covetousness, and you better guard your heart. And he shares this parable with the idea that here's this guy, he just kind of a make-believe guy, the ground of a certain rich man produced a good crop. So this guy was very successful, but notice he has, this is kind of a play on words, this guy here in the parable has an eye problem. He has an eye problem, not this kind, not this eye problem, not a seeing eye, but he has an eye self problem. Because look at how many times he talks about himself. So verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store all my, my grain and my goods. And I'll say, you see all that? It's all about me. It's all about mine. It's not all about me and mine. Everything we have is on loan from God. And if he's blessed you, be a good steward of it. You have more responsibility. It's not about building bigger barns. Never once in the parable does the guy say, wow, God has really blessed me. This is incredible. What can I do, Lord, to serve you with it? What can I do to bless you and to advance your kingdom with it? Instead, he's just looking at how he can hoard it, make it all about me, sit back, have a few Twinkies, become lazy, opulent, just living in the lap of luxury like a little lap dog, okay? That's what he wants to be. Eat, drink, and be merry. Take life easy. And God says to him there in verse 20, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? In other words, this guy had made wealth his confidence and not the Lord. He had made his wealth his confidence and not the Lord. He was living for now and not eternity. It was all about living, not planning for dying. There wasn't any consideration in regards to the future and eternity. It was all about now. It was all about the material versus the eternal. And so Jesus is using all this to warn this guy, and you know, to warn any of us, listen, don't let greed consume your heart. God has blessed you. Be a good steward with what he's given you, but don't become a slave to material things. Use what God has given you for his glory and give thanks to him always for his many blessings. And he says there in verse 21, this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich toward God. Look, make eternal investments. In whatever way God has blessed you, make eternal investments. Use what he has given you to make an eternal impact and an eternal difference in our world. And then Jesus goes on here about the subject of worrying. Verse 22, 
And then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry. That word's going to be repeated four times in this passage. Don't worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Since you cannot do this very little thing, why do you worry about the rest? Or consider how the lilies grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, how much more will he clothe you, or you of little faith? And do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. Now notice, he's moving from the greeds to the needs. He says, your Father knows that you need them, but seek his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the idea of the section before we just read is about greed. And and now it's about worry. And greed and worry are closely associated. Because greed can never get enough. And worry is always afraid you'll never have enough. And it's closely related. So, you know, the greedy person is always like, I can't get enough. The worry person is like, I don't think I'm ever going to have enough, you know. And, and so Jesus is trying to address both extremes here. And he addresses this whole idea of worry. Don't, don't worry. Come on, the old Lion King, Akuna Matata kind of a deal here. He's telling us. But underneath worry, two bullet points there, God will take care of your needs and seek first his kingdom. That's, that's basically what he's saying to us. God will take care of you. When it comes to food and clothes, don't worry about it. God will feed you. He's a big God. He's going to take care of you. He says, consider the ravens and consider the lilies. He says, you know, the ravens don't sit. You don't see a neurotic raven, right? You don't see a, a raven. Oh, no, you know, I mean, maybe Joe Flacco, but that's another kind of raven. But, any, but anyway, um, but... In general, you don't see ravens, you know, flying around. Oh, no, where's the next meal? Where's the next, ah, where's the next meal? You know, because they're just content to be what they are. And God's going to take care of them. And lilies, you know, they're not lilies of the field. These little beautiful flowers, they're not like, ah, ah. They're fine. God's taking care of the lilies, and God's going to take care of the ravens, and he's going to take care of you. Because, you know, it's the idea here that if, okay, so you told us this parable about the rich fool. And so, you know, we, okay, so if, if we're supposed to like give and, you know, and, and bless God and, you know, and then I won't have anything left and I'm going to start worrying about all my other needs. Don't worry. God will take care of you. Now, this is a great passage in general just on the subject of worry. Because there, there's a few worry warts among us, I'm sure. Some of you, you know, it's like you don't have a care in the world. And those of us who worry a lot, we can't stand you. I just want to tell you right up front. I don't mean that really. I, I mean we're envious of the way just, you know, smooth and cool and nothing bothers you. 
Would you please worry once in a while to make the rest of us feel better? But some of you who worry, I know why you worry. You know why you worry. Because you think it's a self-protective mechanism. If you can worry about the worst thing that could possibly happen, then if it happens, you'll be prepared. And if it doesn't happen, then okay, you're better off for it because it never happened. Am am I reading anybody's mail? Okay? So some of you are just like, you know, I'm going to worry about this. And you think the worst possible scenario, because you're like, i got to prepare myself. It may never happen. I know, but if it does, I'll be ready. And 99% of the time, it doesn't happen. But you're thinking that it's going to happen because I want to anticipate. I want to worry up front. I'll get all my worrying up up front. So then if it doesn't happen, I'm okay. And if it does happen, I'll be ready. And just while I'm waiting, I'm going to Google and see what this might mean. Oh, no, I have that disease, you know, and then it goes. It just spirals out of control. I only know this because of what some of you have said to me. But anyhow, (laughs) don't talk to my wife. Anyhow, so Jesus is addressing this whole thing about worry. And, you know, and there's physiological effects from worry, too. It'll work on your blood pressure, work on your health. It it, it works on a lot of things. (laughs) Google that. It'll, It'll make you worry even more. And so Jesus is trying to, you know, like calm us down, like, you know, just get off the edge there, would you please? Back down, because it's all going to be okay. God is sovereign. He's got us in the palm of his hands. And we have to continually remind ourselves, those, those who worry a little bit too much, that God is in control and he's sovereign. He's going to take care of us. And that if we seek first, verse 31, seek first his kingdom. These things will be given to you. God knows what we need, so we just need to rest in him, seek his kingdom. What does that mean? Kingdom, in a kingdom, there's always a king. There are always subjects to the king. And the idea of the kingdom of God is that the Lord is king. We are subject to the king. And when he is king, we can rest in his divine order and his divine care concerning all of the subjects of the kingdom. It is allowing him to be the one who rules. It is the kingdom of God is the Lord ruling in our lives, us subjecting ourselves and submitting ourselves to his rule and to his reign and taking comfort in knowing that he's in control. He's in charge. He is sovereign. We have to stop the worrying. And, and it's very endearing the way he says in verse 32, do not be afraid, little flock. Like he you know, is referring to the people there as just like little lambs. And that your father, notice how personal this is. This is your father. He has, he's been pleased to give you the kingdom. So don't worry. He's going to take care of you. And then he talks about selling your possessions, giving to the poor. He's not saying you know, completely deplete everything you have. He's basically, again, talking about making eternal investments. If he meant just give everything that you have, then he wouldn't say in the next verse, provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. So, you know, in the words of John Wesley, he went by this principle, and I think it's good advice, earn all you can, save all you can, give all you can. And that's basically what Jesus is saying here. You're not supposed to give it all because then you won't have anything to live off yourself and don't be so spiritually minded that, you know, that's the way to be. Just, you know, deplete everything that you have and give it away. No, because Paul says, if a man doesn't work, he shall not eat. There has to be a sense of your own, you know, work ethic and you're providing for yourself. But again, it's this principle and it's still along the lines of the whole greed thing. The answer to greed is giving. Giving will release the grip of greed. Giving will release the grip of greed. 
So when you are others-oriented and kingdom-oriented and you're wanting to help the poor or give in a way that will advance the kingdom, it breaks the grip of greed. Verse 34, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So make those eternal investments. The Gospel of Luke takes a unique look at the life of Christ from His birth to His ministry, His death and resurrection. Luke described Jesus as the Son of Man, one of his favorite ways to refer to himself. Jesus was God in human form, showing all of us what it means to live a completely sinless life. There was no fault to be found in him, yet Jesus was still nailed to a cross. But his death had purpose too. He stood in for you, taking the punishment your sin deserves. And then he rose from the grave, conquering death and the evil one. What an amazing Savior this Son of Man truly is. Are you interested in knowing more about Jesus, or would you like someone to pray with you? If so, please email us at prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Do you live in or near Leesburg, Virginia? If so, we invite you to come join us this Sunday for a time of worship, Bible study, and fellowship at Cornerstone Chapel. Find out service times and more information when you visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. You'll also find previous messages from Pastor Gary and be able to download our mobile app. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. That's all for today. Thanks for tuning in to Cornerstone Connection. Got no place to go, but still you know